Welcome to a special edition of the Live to Walk Again podcast. Today with a couple of special guests, uh, Kaizen Bickle, who is a board member of the Live to Walk Again Foundation and longtime friend, and uh, Chris Hansen, who is an investigative journalist with NBC and now Discovery Plus. You know him from To Catch a Predator and Dateline. Uh, and he is, um, I believe, an ex- executive producer on the new documentary series Unseemly about um, the investigation of Peter Nygaard. Inv- the investigation of Peter Nygaard. Thanks, Kai. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show and Kai. Jeremy, Kai, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm. I'm very thankful for you. I want because I definitely want to talk to you. Uh, we'll. we'll go, I'd like to talk about some of the Peter Nygaard stuff initially, yeah. and then um, also get into. You know, this podcast focuses on people with spinal cord injuries and paralysis of all kinds, and um, you know, I definitely want to talk about how that community is. You know, affected by uh, sexual predators and very vulnerable class of people. No question. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, my first question, I told Kai this yesterday, was I, I just want to know when you first heard the name Peter Nygaard. You know, it was about two years ago, Jeremy, and I was meeting with a fellow I know who is a federal, former federal uh, law enforcement agent, and he had been retained. He's retired working in in a private uh, investigative firm. And he had been retained by a law firm to look into this matter. And by matter, I mean the, the case of, of Peter Nygaard and allegations that he had been involved in sexual assault, uh, predator-like illegal activity of all kinds. And we had a discussion about it. And, and I said, wow, that's a, that's, a, that's a big story. So we started digging into it and working on it. And, and I teamed up with uh, uh, Blackfin Productions here in New York City, and and we are very fortunate to get an inside look um, with the help of these investigators, with the help of a lot of, of a lot of digging um, of the Bacon family, the um, the neighbors to uh, Nygaard in the Bahamas. As you know, this all started, you know, essentially as a battle over beachfront property between two billionaires and. Once uh, people started getting into Peter Nygaard's business, they found just shocking, atrocious, and outrageous allegations uh, that dated back the better part of 50 years. So here you have a man on one side who's this lion king in the fashion industry, multi, uh, multi millionaire, if not a billionaire, literally whose New York office is eight blocks from where I'm sitting right now, past it every day. Um, and, and it turns out that he's a master predator who in many ways puts guys like Epstein and Weinstein uh, to shame because of how long it's been going on, the sheer number of victims and the brutality in which these sexual assaults took place. And it almost got to the point where it was like, wow, you know, why was this compound designed in the Bahamas? Was it for this sexual predator behavior, focusing on the most vulnerable of people? And, and the answer was yes and yes. That, that's what was going on in the Bahamas. It's what was going on in Los Angeles. It's what was going on to a certain extent in Winnipeg. And this picture started to come together that was absolutely shocking. So we 
started to look into it. And we went to the Bahamas. We got back, um, it would be a year March 5th. And I was down there with Blackfin and we were interviewing the victims. And it just was just one thing led to another. And suddenly there's, there's not only a lot of evidence, but a very compelling television documentary, the likes of which I've not been involved in. And if I could just interject here, uh, for our viewers or anyone that might be watching this that doesn't have the context, I'm actually Peter Nygaard's son. And um, so I, I guess I would qualify as one of the experts in the world on this whole situation. Especially Absolutely, without I'm question. And, and, and by the way, Kai, and, and I'm not being uh, you know, self-serving for the documentary here, but you are one of the really compelling elements in this documentary. I mean, imagine... And I'm not pulling smoke here, but, but, you know, here you are, you know, as Kai, the son of this fellow. And not only do you have to decide to do the right thing for law enforcement, but then to go public and be a part of this documentary, knowing what's happening and, and having this unravel before your eyes as you're a part of it. And, and I got to tell you, Kai, it was, I was moved by how brave uh, and courageous you have been in this entire process. And not only was it critical to the storytelling here, but just for the, the law of it, the legal case, the prosecution, um, you know, the fact that information got out there that has prevented him from fleeing. And I quite honestly, and, and I had brutal, brutally honest discussions with the investigators involved in this case, and people were shocked that he didn't try to flee someplace where he wouldn't be prosecuted. And thankfully, law enforcement moved in when it did. But against all odds and international boundaries and money and the sense of impunity that this man has had. Um, and Kai, you and I have discussed this. It's, it's, it's really amazing that finally the case has come together. And I think we're going to see justice for all these victims. And there are dozens and dozens and dozens of them. I mean, more than virtually any other case I can think of. Well, uh, first to respond to that, thank you. And um, to put that back, Chris, you've been one of my heroes and so many other heroes. And Jeremy has utmost respect for you. You're someone that uh, by doing your show to catch a predator has shed so much light on not only what an extensive and brutal problem is there, but the amount of evidence that you actually need to compile to prosecute such a difficult crime to prove. And uh, your show has been a, um, a massive example of doing the right thing and doing it in a way where others can draw from it. And you've helped countless people it's such an extreme honor for Jeremy and I. And it's, I guess in a way, it's so funny because I don't know if funny is the right word, but about any of this, but um, it's like, maybe it's ironic that I was, as you were talking, I was trying to piece together the timeline. Um, Jeremy asked you when you first started on this, do you remember the date was, or that like the general date was when you first caught the name Peter Nygaard? When it started, it would, been, it would have been Kai around March of 2019. So okay, two, two years ago, March. Okay, because here's the here's the irony. So I had a uh, I had my own as his son. I, I think a lot of people 
maybe don't understand is that Nygaard's and I refer to him as Nygaard now because I've really kind of disassociated myself with sure, him. I, I bet you had. Yeah. And, um, but the, the, the children really grew up with their mothers and had very limited exposure to him. Uh, oftentimes growing up, we would maybe see him. He was an absentee father. Uh, the, the, the mothers all had to basically litigate to get any child support. There was never a trust fund or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, Jeremy can tell you, like, I grew up out here in a small town with normal, like humble, um, regular folks that, uh, that, uh, and it wasn't promoted that I had this wealthy father in the Bahamas. It was something that I kind of kept to myself. And, um, we would get little blocks of, of exposure to him, uh, a family weekend or maybe a Christmas uh, break. And so you sort of get him on his best behavior and you get the like public persona version of him. The award ceremony. The award ceremony, the, uh, the special event. So a lot of the pictures online where you'll see me with him wearing tuxedos, you know, because those are the types of events where you actually see each other. And I was really lucky because I actually had fantastic role models out here that that showed you what you know really being a man was we, we were Jeremy and I and a group of our friends were were incredibly privileged to be able to be around a, a man named Billy Frank Jr. who they ended up naming the Nisqually Wildlife Refuge and National Park after out here after he was an indigenous leader who fought for uh, tribal rights and won in court and was beloved by everyone um, considered like a Martin Luther King type of indigenous community up here. So Billy has been an instrumental influence on, on all of our characters because there were a lot of people here and, um, and my mom. So we had this upbringing that was different. And I'm so grateful now because um, being around Nygaard uh, is completely toxic. And the moments that I, I was around him, um, even though I was always trying to bring positive to his life and trying to do positive things. And it was such a volatile personality and he's so manipulative. I mean, uh, now you've realized that everything was really a foundation of lies that we were, that was built on. So the father son relationship that you thought you had wasn't even, it wasn't even real. So, and, and really that person that he presented himself to be was a, a total illusion. So we're talking about a man of, of deception and what, and what lies behind the curtain uh, discovered is actually something that's really, frankly, I think the best word to describe it is evil. Yeah. Uh, and you have to wonder, Ty, you know, how did he get this way? You know, is it, is it intrinsic evil? I have some theories on that. I have some thoughts on that. Um, uh, for one thing, there's something about him that he does not have the ability to empathize with others. So he, he doesn't have the ability to put himself in your shoes and feel what it's like to be screamed at by him, for example. Um, so you have, you're dealing with somebody that does not have empathy. Just, just, just start there. And then um, he would brag actually about growing up that he lost his, uh, like one of his first sexual experiences and he lost his virginity to someone that was very much older than him and he was very young. And he thought that that was a normal a, thing, a normal or a good yeah. thing. And later in particular that comes up because I've had 
um, two very courageous brothers come forward about him basically orchestrating a statutory rape on both of them. And the thing was, is we didn't actually know um, until this was happening, one of them came forward and it just so happened that the brother he confided in, uh, he told him his story. And that brother said, not only did the same thing happen to me 15 years ago, when I was 15 and the woman was in her mid twenties, but it was with the same woman. Yeah. And, and it's the same story. And in this case, the younger brother that came forward to the other brother, he was now 15 years later, he's 14 and she's over 40. And then Chris, I have to tell you, I just found out about a week or two ago, somebody came to me who was a woman who was at the property for a week or two when I was there as a kid. And she says, Kai, I have something to confess to you. Your father was um, pressuring me, manipulating me, using all ways of that he could to, for me to have sex with you. And I was 27 and you were, and we found out, did the math, I was 13. And luckily, thank God that she didn't do it, despite the fact of his, all of his manipulation and, and, and pressure and tactics. And she was, you know, you talked about um, this house in the Bahamas and how it was designed and everything. And growing up, I'll just say briefly that the, the image that was presented to the family as well as the rest of the world about who Peter Nygaard was was this you know, rags to riches story about a hardworking um, Finnish immigrant in Canada who uh, brought himself uh, out of the literally uh, converted Colvin to this rags to riches story. Um, and he was living this playboy lifestyle that he was proudly flaunting, which as long as you're not hurting others, I don't mind how you live. Correct. You're allowed to do what you want. As long as it's legal, you're not hurting children, you're not hurting others. And what he did was he flaunted that lifestyle and presented it as if it was this very transparent thing, consensual non-monogamy and so on and so forth. And later as, as I grew up, you would see him design these very unique homes the house in bahamas before it had a fire in uh i guess it was like 2008 or 2009 or something like that um was really considered maybe the world's most unique home uh people and i I always get angry when i or i guess i don't know if angry is the right word but I, i don't think it's fair to the celebrities that i see getting referenced with nygaard and the media and saying that they partied with him because they had a picture at nygaard key is actually more like a select most of the time, I'd say maybe 90% of those people just came by for a visit of the house to tour the house. And it was a, yeah. to tour the house, like even, you know, so uh, I don't think it's fair um, for them. But when you were talking about how it's designed later, because I spent time in the Marina del Rey, Los Angeles uh, compound, there was, you know, after high, after college here, I actually moved into one of the houses next door for a period of time and tried working for the the, the family and, and, and those types of things. And even in that environment, uh, he'd be there 
maybe a month or two out of the year. And when he was there, he was in his room and I would see him for volleyball at six o'clock and maybe dinner. That's it. (laughs) You know, so he's very, very structured about who he revealed information to and what was compartmentalized from others. And then you find out that he actually had people who were his most trusted, uh, I guess you would say enablers now or co-conspirators, but he had people that were actively suppressing information. And they're the type of people that, as I went through this process and started asking questions when information began to become available, they're the type of people that would aggressively combat, you know, refute something. If I said, hey, I just think that there's this story about this girl that might've gotten drugged at the house, we should be ringing this alarm bell and their response is, Anyone who says they got drugged is a liar. Uh, they're just doing it as a way to conveniently say that they slept with him. Or get money, probably. Or... Right. Right. Yeah. right. And, well, that's what, you know, that's what he did. I mean, he would pay these people off. He would intimidate them with power and wealth. And he had a whole staff to back him up. I mean, whether you, you consider the allegations of how the assaults happened, or the brutal nature of those, and the just unbelievable nature of and, and how he was enabled, um, he had help, obviously. And he had help to get away with it for, for the better part of five decades. So. Yeah, and to that point, I, I also think that even the helpers didn't have a full picture of what he was doing. Well, I think in the beginning, you're absolutely right, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think even those who did know, you know, the, the vicious brutality of it, you know, were, were a close, closely held handful of them. Yeah, but now I don't think so because there's so much information now that if you're, oh, it's all coming out. It's all coming out now. And if you're continuing to help him after these things have come out, then I mean that's for me just right. So being accomplished to a crime, you know. Yeah, um, I was gonna say so the the documentary investigative do- uh, documentary series Unseemly comes out. Uh, we're fil- we're recording this on February fourth. It comes out February fifth, um, and is, is that going to be like a once a week episode, you know, one episode a week, or is Discovery? I, I'm not sure how Discovery Plus works. The way, the way it works, so initially it's a, a four episode series, and so because it's a streaming service, all four will come out Friday the fifth, okay. and you'll be able to see them on Discovery Plus, and then I'm pretty certain that you'll see more after that just because there's so much to this story. Yeah. Uh, the scope of it is, is and the breadth of it is, is, is amazing. And as in many of these cases, in fact, that the, uh, Onision real life started as a three part series and we're already out shooting a, a four. So my belief is that there will be more to come after these four, but that's how it's going to start. And it's a, it's a lot to digest. I mean, if you think about all the time we put into it, and how much there was to investigate. I mean, just Kai's story, right? Which we could talk about for hours and hours and hours legitimately, and all of it would be important and fascinating, is just one part of it. Yeah. One interview of it, one component among the most important, granted, but it's just one voice in this, this narrative um, that you have to see to believe, quite honestly. Right. And yeah, when you see it all put together, it's, 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 and again, you know, Blackfin is just so great at 
putting together these compelling narratives in these documentaries. And I'm so proud to be involved in this and, and the other projects I'm working on with Black Men because they really, they understand storytelling. They understand the, the, the right way to tell a story. And it's, it's not an indictment of a person so much as it is laying out what we know. And that's what this is, you know? And what we know is a lot, it's damning, it's disturbing, and it's something you can't turn away from once you start watching. Wow. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's funny because, I keep saying it's funny, it's not funny. Um, I know what you mean though, but it's, it, it's odd, weird, ironic, and it, it is, you know. The thing that keeps coming up for me, right. Uh, is that we used to say that Peter Nygaard was the biggest name in fashion you never heard of. Right. He was, he was, he was always so adamant about trying to promote himself, trying to be famous, but he never could get there. And, and the irony is now he's becoming a household name, but it's not fame, it's infamy. Right. Well, you're exactly right. When I would tell this story, you know, just like you guys do, you're involved in a project and you're talking about your podcast or anything you're working on. I mean, you, you have your, your speech that you give at a cocktail party. People say, what have you been working on? This is, it's, you know, this story in Nygaard. And they go, I never heard of it. So he's a billionaire. Hmm. Then you tell him, well, he, he was responsible for every pair of jeans sold at Dillard's and private label brands. Oh, yeah. Then they start to get it. But you know, you're right. He is probably the, the least known, most important at one time uh, member of the fashion industry. I mean, he sold a lot of pants, a lot of clothing. Yeah. It made him very, very wealthy. And a colorful character is flamboyance. And when you when you look, you alluded, you or you talked about it earlier, and I, I actually didn't complete the sentence that I was trying to get to, was that you talked about Nygaard Key and how it was built as really a, a compound for um, his crimes. And I've gotten to experience all of the uh, places that he's built. Um, I spent a lot of my time when I would interact with the Nygaard world, just avoiding Ny <laughs> Peter Nygaard. So I'd end up going and visiting these places when he wasn't there usually. And um, they all have a very, unique design, very creative, visionary sort of uh, way that they were constructed, unique. And, but when I took a step back and I looked at everything, especially in this context, as more of this has come out, you realize, wow, it really was just a big trap. It really was a, it, the whole thing, the whole thing. The, the fashion as uh, that happened to be the company and the, the thing that he got into was fashion, but that was a vehicle for him. And as his fashion built up and he made more money and he built homes, then those homes were basically uh, only to present this seductive uh, illusion and then when it came down to it, it was all about just getting more and more women to feed this appetite that couldn't be uh, met. You, you couldn't satisfy it. He had to have 
knew people. And then there was something about him that now we find out on the sexual side, almost enjoyed hurting others, almost got that pleasure out of it. But I'll just say that on the business side, as a father or somebody that I could, that I was around him or I could you know, witness or experience, there was something about him that enjoyed yelling at people to the point where they're crying and digging further and just getting so nasty and so vengeful. And to, to now get the discovery that not only was that vengeful, nasty person on the business side, it was also on the sexual side and the sexual side was so perverse and so dark and so deranged and just warped and sick that, oh my God. And um, I think that we're all grateful that he's been arrested and uh, but we're also still in limbo because tomorrow february 5th is not only when unseemly is airing but it's also the day that we have a bail decision and the bail decision is not about a trial for peter nygaard it's about extradition from the usa or from canada to the usa it's what that's simply it's not a trial that whole bail process it's, uh, it's basically just whether or not they calculate him as a flight risk. And uh, I have a bad feeling tomorrow that he might get out. And if he does get out, then I know, and the police have already mentioned in the USA that he has enablers that are listed as co-conspirators in the 57 women's suit who the USA is, authorities have said two of the companies that Nygaard claims he doesn't own but he has all of his co-conspirators and officers that have been working with him so closely for decades uh, running them. And I can guarantee you after he's tasted being behind bars, when he's lived nothing but luxury, everything at his whim for 50 years, and now everything is on his schedule or not on his schedule and it's a complete reverse. There's, if he gets out, and, is, and, and, and I'm hearing that extradition processes could be two to 10 years. I hope that's not real, but I've heard that. So if he gets out and he's on house arrest or whatever, you've got companies in the USA that the authorities are saying have $70 million worth of liquidated assets. Perhaps some of that has been moved offshore. Perhaps it hasn't. Uh, and it's run by these people. I, I don't have a great feeling uh, right. Well, I, I think, you know, as, as we were talking about earlier, Kai, and, you know, some of us are shocked that he didn't try it earlier, but I think he, you know, the sense of impunity kept him from thinking he'd ever be arrested or he'd be indicted because right. you know, he got away with it for so long and bought his way through it and bullied his way through it. I don't know. I, I mean, I, <clears throat> I don't pretend to be expert in the Canadian court system, but I do know that the U.S. has a very good relationship with Canada in terms of extradition. And as long as there is a consistent U.S. version of a Canadian crime, and we're not talking about a capital case, it should be, it should be a fairly seamless extradition. And I can't imagine it would go, you know, five years. I mean, again, anything can happen. But I, I given the evidence I've seen, the evidence you know firsthand, I'd be shocked if they let him out on bail under any circumstances. And, and one of the reasons I say that is 
he represented to the court already that he had no active passport. And yet we find out he did. Now, whether he knew it or not, he should have known it. And that was a deception of the court. And they're not going to look kind of that. Well, actually, there's a there's 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 one thing on that. And then we'll get to your thing, Jeremy. But just to finish that thought, Chris, is that that's also what I thought. And the reporter who, who wrote that, uh, Caroline, was the same reporter that broke my story about him being a flight risk in September. So I, I'm in good communication with her. She's done a great job. Um, but there was a technicality. She actually went to Nygaard's lawyer about this. He told her, this is a court matter. We can't tell you about it when he really could have revealed before she wrote the story. And then in court, they actually were able to say that that passport that she used in the media was actually not valid because it had water damage or something like that. And he did have an expired passport, but they did that to try to put egg on her face and the reporting process. They set her up then. They set her up. Yeah. So, um, so that one's a little bit tricky, but I guess that's where we stand. Um, Chris on the, on the timing of this thing, you said that you started in uh, March of 2019 when you right. first started catching wind of this. I had an experience that happened to me in May of 2019 where I popped by for a dinner party. And I believe that I saw him sneak a, a touch of, of someone that was underage and um, that's what set me off. Yeah. And, uh, and what was, what was interesting about that was I didn't know what to do. I had nothing to go off of at first. At first it was just the shock and horror of that. Maybe my dad isn't really, who he said he is and this whole thing that reveal, which was brutal. I think I laid in the fetal position for a couple of days after, after that night uh, with a gut punch um, literally uh, from that experience. And what happened was as I looked into it and I was, I whistled, I blew the whistle internally at Nygaard. Um, I got, they attacked me for it. I got punished. I got, you know, if I would have had an inheritance, it got taken, like all that kind of stuff. Fine. Um, and what I ended up doing was watching to catch a predator episodes on YouTube, because that was the only example I had of actually catching predators. And I was thinking to myself, maybe I'll set up a sting somehow or do something and, and, and try to try to find out a solution here. And um, lo and behold, while I'm thinking of this, you're actually thinking of this while I'm watching Chris Hansen to catch a predator. You're actually thinking about how to catch the same predator. predator. (laughs) And, and then, and then as we go through this in, February, the, the information drops, becomes public. Finally, I have something to go on. I have attorneys that I could call. I have things. And, and then when I'm investigating and asking people that I know, they all of a sudden are much more open to talk because before it was just a wall of silence. Nobody yeah. would say a thing. So it was completely uh, a dead end. And um, by the time we got to April, uh, I, I was in touch with the attorneys. I was convinced that he not only was guilty of these things, but that he was an active, dangerous 
uh, predator who, with an intent to fly and flee, uh, flee the country if he ever thought that he would be arrested. Um, so behind the scenes, I'm, I'm working with them, calling, you know, getting in touch with the authorities, giving them everything I know, getting in, just playing the role of organizer. Just I became obsessed with doing everything that I could to help the justice process get what they needed to be able to take action and to also not alert Nygaard that I was so against him and others were against him and that there was so much momentum behind the scenes because he could have just picked up and left. Sure. And then none of this would even be possible because he'd be in a jurisdiction that we couldn't even touch him. And when we got to the point where all of these things had happened and now we're in November, I ended up being the last interview on Unseemly because it was a, such a big decision for me oh, yeah. whether or not to reveal um, what I was doing. It's to not him. something that we took lightly as, as you know, people putting together the document. And lo and behold, I didn't know that you were an executive producer on Unseemly. And it wasn't until the interview had already shot that I found that out to my delight because for me, you're like this big celebrity that I'm, 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 I'm still pinching myself just a little bit that we're having this conversation right well, now. Well, I, I, listen, I, I think that, you know, I've been very fortunate over the years to, you know, wield influence because of, you know, the predator investigations. And this is a, an example of how it works out for the, the greater good. You know, the fact that you're a part of it and, and that's so important and, us to get your story and you know it, it 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 does open a lot of doors it creates the opportunity to seek justice that you know we wouldn't have without the predator um, investigations under our belt and it's it's a it's a funny thing because if you know you look at a career and you know 40 years and 10 emmys and multiple awards none of those emmys are for to catch a predator or Hanson versus Predators or they're for other investigative reporting, other breaking news. And so while I may be known mostly for Predator, you know, worldwide, you know, it's five, eight, ten percent of my portfolio. So, you know, you, you, at some point in your career, you have to say, okay, well, that was fine. I did it. Do I try to do other things or do you embrace it for all the good that it can give? And I've chosen and I made that decision a long time ago to embrace it. And it was you know, criticized in some corners of journalism as being, you know, non-traditional, uh, you know, breaking the boundaries of, of what had been traditional journalism, television journalism for so many years, criticized for perhaps working too closely with the police. I saw it as advocacy. And, and, and in my opinion, as long as we are painfully uh, transparent about our methodology, I was comfortable with it. And, and I still am. And we'll do it again. And it you know, it changes formats and we tweak things. And, you know, imagine back when we first did the first predator investigation in 2004, we nearly had decoys in chat rooms on AOL and Yahoo. Well, today, you know, 16, 17 years later, it's Badu and Kick and Skip the Games and interactive uh, video games online. And, and, and I mean, and when you consider also that we've been in a pandemic for going on, and kids are spending more time than ever online. Adults are online doing their work and their business, getting their entertainment. Predators know this. They know that this is a golden opportunity for them to strike. And we talked, Jeremy, about you know people with disabilities, you know, 
being preyed upon? Well, you know, on a daily basis, people who cannot get out of the house as easily as some other folks depend on their online interaction for part of their life, whether it's social, entertainment, financial, whatever it may be, that makes them vulnerable. And we see it even in the NIDAR case. There was a case of a young woman who had been in an accident, who was in a wheelchair, and who, by all accounts, had been taken advantage of by Peter Michael, uh, along with the promise of stem cell research that could make her recover quicker. And it's, it's shameful, yeah. but it's, it's, it's a part of the story. And we, you know, we pursued it, and not every victim came forward in this case. I think more will now that uh, Unseemly is going to be released on Discovery Plus. And I think there'll be a whole, you know, uh, follow-up series to it because there's so many other people out there who are waiting for their opportunity, want to speak out, who want to seek justice, but have been hesitant in large part because of his bullying predator nature. I mean, he's vicious when he goes after something. Yeah. And you now, sadly, son have had to hear about the accounts of the, uh, the sexual atrocities and, and, uh, and the things that have happened. I mean, in, in all my years, I've never seen anything quite like this. Uh, yeah, and you, I mean, and, I'm and sure. I've seen, I've seen a lot, you know. Right, I'm sure you've seen some terrible things uh, over the years. Horrible things over right back, right back the years. But this, this really, and I can say this without fear of contradiction, is the worst case of sexual predation uh, in terms of scope and breadth and severity that I have ever seen. I mean, again, this surpasses Epstein, it surpasses Weinstein, it surpasses certainly R. Kelly or anybody else we're currently investigating. I mean, it just the, the sheer magnitude of it is shocking. I mean, there are things that occurred that we can't even get into on a television show. Oh can lose them. I mean, I mean, stuff that you know you would have to read into the court file to see. I mean, absolute base grotesque, vicious, brutal act. And what makes a guy do this? And I don't pretend to to know the answer to that. And Kai, I mean, you have some theories, but this is this is this is really severe stuff yeah it's pure evil it's uh it's, and that's a good way to put it pure evil that's yeah, i was calling it pure perverted evil too i mean it's it's um it's a level of it, it, and it i mean this isn't this isn't some guy who's a wealthy playboy this isn't you have there at the mansion this isn't you know that sort of thing this is just it's sadistic torture i have to tell you that um i <laughs> had a very difficult, obviously, time processing this. Of, yeah, I, I can't imagine that you processed it uh, as we speak here today. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to if I hadn't had a, an excellent therapist in Shannon Maroney, who represents, I think, 25 or so of the other survivors. And I was able to get her uh, help because I was breaking down a bit. And it wasn't until the therapy where I was able to separate the fact that the father that I had love for and knew growing up 
and also just as an adult, my interaction with him was not an interaction with a rapist. It was an interaction with my father and who presented himself as a flamboyant, hardworking businessman who lived a life of transparency, yet a non-traditional lifestyle. And the therapy helped me to separate the monster and the father and to recognize that the father was not really real because it was based on so many lies, but that also I could go through a mourning process for that father. And now I'm actually left with this monster of the reveal of who he really was inside, the thing that's been hiding back there, yeah. the, the thing behind the curtain. And then now it's okay for me to take such bold, decisive action against that monster because I'm dealing with really my arch enemy, my arch nemesis now, because I also had the information that other people didn't have. I had it before because I was searching for it rather than walking away and saying, I don't really want to know. I don't hear no evil. Because a lot of people actually are doing that. And I, it's been an interesting road to ask so many people because I'd say 60, 70% of the people hear no evil, speak no evil, see no evil. I don't know anything. I don't want to know anything. Right. And, then, yeah. and, and then you got maybe 10, 20% people that actually want to help or figure things out a little bit. And then you got another 10 or 20% in there that are actively against you if they think that you are doing that. It's, that's been interesting. Um, and, you know, we have this, we're here now on this uh, Live to Walk Again podcast, and it's really targeted for the disabled community. This topic is something that we're discussing as an example. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy that I'm here with Jeremy and like, I could say, hey, uh, my biological father might be the worst sex criminal in modern history. And if I would have said that a couple of months ago, I probably wouldn't have been able to get the words out if it yeah. wasn't for all the therapy. And there has behind the scenes has been so many times where I'm just breaking down. Right. But I'm crying for that other, I'm, I'm, I'm mourning the loss of the other thing. Now we're in something else and it's okay. And I'm okay with that. Um, with the disabled community, Chris, because these predators, you know them better than almost anybody with your career, they target vulnerable communities. They, they target the vulnerable. Uh, you talked about Nygaard targeting someone in a wheelchair. I found out later that he also targeted someone who was technically mentally disabled. So, well, and I have, I looked up some stats over the last few days, kind of getting ready for this interview. And, you know, it says that um, 83, well, people with disabilities in general are three times more likely to be sexually assaulted than able-bodied people. 83% of women with uh, disabilities will be sexually assaulted in their lifetimes. And then uh, talking about the like intellectual disabilities, Kai, 3% of, uh, sexual abuses involving uh, people with developmental disabilities um, only three percent are ever even reported so 
Uh, well, that's that's the thing, and then, and then you can break it down even further. We've <laughs> all seen the cases where you know there's abuse that goes on in assisted living facilities, you know, right. and it it we should have zero tolerance for that. That you, you, you understand it, but the the larger uh, vulnerable category are people who are at home, who need to find work, who need to find social relationships, who would like to find romantic relationships. And the fact of the matter is the disabled, challenged population physically is a vulnerable sweet spot for predators. And it just, it's, it's preying on emotion. It's preying on circumstance. It's preying on on somebody wanting everything that a normal human being should have in their life. And that's what predators do. The reason why Peter Nygaard pursued 14-year-old girls in Bahamas who were poor is because he could get away with it. And he could give them 50 or $100 and they would leave and be taken back to their, their you know, poverty existence. And for a long time, nobody would say anything. And if they did, you could say, well, I invited them to a pamper party. They got a manicure and a makeup job. And what is she talking about? I didn't take her to I didn't do that to her. That's disgusting. That's disgusting. He got away with that. And the predators know that this vulnerable community exists. And so as people, you know, take advantage of the internet, which is great because it has opened up the world to folks who have difficulty with mobility getting out of their homes. It's, it's a marvelous thing. The computer can take you a million miles away. But it also creates the opportunity for predators to contact And I think there needs to be a much greater awareness because it's not something we, we talk about a lot. We talk about kids online. We talk about, you know, uh, the elderly online. But it's, it's just as big of a vulnerable group. And I think it's important that we discuss it on shows like this. And I applaud you, Jeremy and Kai, for taking on these issues because it's, it's of vital importance. And I don't think enough people are talking. To that point, um, what do you think are some practical ways that the disabled community can prevent this or um, take actions to either stop it from happening in the first place and or if it did happen, um, try to seek justice. What, it's, what, it's, all about, it's all about awareness, right? And so if you talk about it, if you create a dialogue that didn't exist before, then you're on the road to creating awareness. And that's what we're doing right now. That's what the Predator shows have done. That's what the Nagar documentary on this bus will do. It'll make it harder for the next Peter Nagar to get away with it. By talking about this, it'll make it harder for a Predator to get away with exploiting somebody with a disability. Now, having said that, you know, I can give you a thousand examples of people who are preyed upon who don't want to admit it. You know, they've fallen victim to the sweetheart swindler, to all kinds of cons and scams online. And so a certain percentage of the population will remain vulnerable because they dare to dream that there's a better life, that there's an emotional connection, that there's a financial reward. You know, that's why con men continue to succeed in society. So we just have to keep talking about it. We have to preach it. We have to, you know, let people know that there is a remedy for this, that they can go to law enforcement, that they won't be ignored. And, you know, if you have been victimized by somebody else, 
then you need to get a hold of law enforcement. And you need an advocate. And there are fortunately in this country groups that advocate for those with disabilities. And I think you need to exploit each and every opportunity if you think you've been exploited. And, and just be aware, you know, everybody wants to be loved, respected, have a sense of value. That's human nature. But the problem is that the predators know how to exploit. And so you really need to sometimes, if you have a loved one who's in a disabled position, have that, that, that talk that, that they don't want to have. It's just like having the uncle who's in his 80s and is widowed and, and there's a younger gal hanging around and he's very flattered and very generous. And, you know, is she really, you know, all that? And, and they don't want to have that discussion. No, no, no relative does, but you know, it's, it, I'm not pretending I have the exact answer, but you have to go in there and start the dialogue. And you may get, you know, not a really warm welcome to have that discussion. But, you know, a lot of it's just keeping an eye on, on people and doing it at a respectful distance. And unfortunately, some people are going to get burned along the way before they learn the lesson. That's right. Unfortunately, you know, Nygaards of the world will victimize a lot of people before they get caught. And that's the nature of evil and people who are intelligent in. But I, I, again, it's, it's keeping it out there. It's, it's doing a show like this. It's, you know, when, when Kai approached me to do it, I mean, obviously I was going to do it regardless of what the show was because, you know, you showed such courage and bravery and, and intellect by being a part of the, the documentary. But overriding that is the importance of, of lending your name to something that, that can help other people, you know. Uh, and, and, and I think that any time you have a chance to do that, it's our responsibility as, as media people, as people with a, you know, a bit of a following, to, to fly the flag for, you know, those who can't fly themselves. And, and so you hope people see this and you hope it gets legs and becomes a little viral and give them the chance of discussion. And I have, a, I guess, a point on that is that um, you mentioned that there were groups for the disabled community and maybe something the walk again can look to do is sure. uh, connect. And, I, and I, I think there's, there's also a way to partner with law enforcement. I mean, you know, 16 years ago, we started doing the predator investigations. Yeah. I mean, ICAC existed, uh, the federal agency that combines local law enforcement and the feds to investigate crimes against children. But I think now law enforcement agencies around the country are much more aware and have, you know, put into place standards and methodology to go out and become proactive and investigate these things. I mean, there's a reason why law enforcement wants to partner with us. And I think, you know, uh, a show and effort like yours, Jeremy, um, could really do some good by reaching out to local law enforcement and reaching out to the community section of the local sheriff's department or police department and, and say who, who's your man man or woman who who deals with this who's the detective and, and start the conversation in a liaison relationship and you know it, it, none of these things happen overnight but it's the fact that we talk about it it's the fact that we try it's the fact that we you know try to create the environment where people feel comfortable going forward and suddenly you know you've got a podcast here you've got power you know, suddenly you get people reporting these crimes. You should go online and say, look, this is what we're doing. I'll retweet it. 
You know, we've got hundreds of thousands of people that'll see it. If you have a problem, call Jeremy and, and you know, or go on his show or, or right here. I mean, create a movement because yeah. there's a need for it. There really is. And, and I guess it wasn't really at the top of my agenda till Kai reached out and I started to think about it. And then what really hit home with me, guys, was that, you know, there's this woman, uh, female athlete, model, who was for a time wheelchair bound and was, you know, preyed upon by Nygaard, as the story goes, as the allegation goes, um, with the promise of stem cell. Uh, can I just say it's, something to this? Yeah, go ahead. It, it's so sick because, was, first of all, it's the first time I'm hearing that. Second, yeah. And it, it, I hear something almost every week I hear something that's terrible um, for the last 52 weeks. Um, just about the stem cell thing, Jeremy will tell you part of the reason why we're doing the walk again was it was rooted in that. And, and this started as an initiative that I actually started yeah. within Nygaard. And what it was based on was my mom's a stage four cancer survivor. Um, uh, she actually was very emotionally traumatized from her relationship and developed cancer. I don't know if it was directly correlated, but she had huge emotional issues. And I think it may have had something to do with it, certainly. And um, this whole idea was about saving uh, Nygaard's mother, Hilka, when she was, her health was breaking down. And I was always looking for ways to try to use this platform and do some good work. And um I've always been very interested in health and wellness and, and fast tracking solutions. And the whole point of the live to walk again is to create a platform that helps catalyze the advancements of science so that we can get to live to walk again. We can live a longer, healthier life while we're paralyzed in the paralysis community and also work together to fast track cure so that it can happen quicker. And it's so sick to me that, even when you present something that was really pure in a lot of ways and good. And our, our initial initiative was to search for answers. And, and I got to, I basically made a job for myself that was, had some funding from Nygaard, but was also self-funded to just travel around the world looking for scientists and, uh, and do that due diligence. Cause most people, they start looking when they run out of answers, but it's usually at the end of the game, at the end of the line, and it's really hard to get anything done when it's at the end of the line. So it just is sick to me. I, everything's sick, but it's it's so sick that even when we started this initiative to find solutions, whether it's stem cells or different long, different therapies that could help people with illness, that it gets twisted up and turned and him and I went different ways after about a year or two of trying to collaborate at a distance because I couldn't really hang out with him too much. Um, and he took it down this really bizarre track and made it, made it everything it wasn't supposed to be. And now I hear from you that he's promising people stem cell treatments that are in a wheelchair and then assaulting them when he gets them in his little private room or whatever the hell that he does. And well, and like as someone with a spinal cord injury, you would, 
I mean, you would, I would do anything to walk again. Right. So you give like dangle that carrot in front of somebody. I mean, it's that, that's just, I mean, that's even beyond evil at that point. I mean, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Um, well, and another, another reveal of information, Chris, thank you. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, but again, that's just another reason why this resonated with me and, and why, you know, I'm happy to help you guys in any way that possible can. And, uh, because it is, it's a very vulnerable class. There's no question. And, so I'll, uh, I'll throw out one piece of information I found. I did find out an app called Not Me that's recently come out, which it provides a, basically a platform for you to voice complaints right. uh, in a way that's organized. And that's something I felt like could be a solution um, as to, it's not the only solution, but just an additional tool or resource for people. Um, so I would encourage folks with, uh, with disabled communities uh, to look that up and see if it resonates, if there's if something positive. Sure. Um, there's been some leaders in the Me Too movement that have promoted that. So um, that's something. Chris, what do you think about setting up if you do, if you are someone who thinks you're getting or maybe you got assaulted before, um, are, are you able to set up like a hidden camera in your own house or something? Or do you have any idea about that? Because it seems to me that one of the biggest problems in this is proof. And if you're a disabled person and somehow you're able to maybe get a, a camera and you have an abuser who's ongoing abuse, maybe is that one of the answers or is that illegal somehow? Well, I, I think it's, look, we do it with the hidden camera investigations on the predator. We do it uh, on scammers. We've done it on, in many different uh, scenarios. Uh, you know, the law is obviously different from state to state in terms of two-party consent with hidden cameras and, and audio recording. But, you know, if, you, if you're capturing the commission of a felony, well, that, that changes things. If there's no reasonable expectation of privacy, it changes things. My big caution for people to to consider before doing anything uh, vigilante-like is that, you know, you could draw somebody into your home who's dangerous and uh, the hidden camera evidence does no good if they harm you and you're not able to, to do that. So you need to be cautious about that. When we do a, a, a sting, you know, we've got security and precautions. You know, we're prepared for all kinds of scenarios. Law enforcement is, is present or nearby at least running at least a parallel investigation. So it's pretty together. I mean, I think the best course would be if somebody is aware of a situation or feels that they're falling victim to the situation, I would, would report it immediately to law enforcement. I think um, if they're willing to do it, they would perhaps volunteer to law enforcement to create a hidden camera scenario to help them gather evidence. And having said that, you know, this makes me remember conversations online I've had over the years with people who have volunteered to go undercover or to, uh, to expose those taking advantage of, of folks with disabilities. And, and it, you've got me now thinking about how important it is. And, and I think maybe we should, you know, get out there and fashion some sort of a sting investigation. And, and I encourage you know, any viewers uh, or listeners uh, of 
this particular show, you know, if you start getting information, let's keep this dialogue going and, and you know, off camera, uh, off air, let's, let's talk about the potential of doing something because I think it could be very compelling and very important. Uh, yeah. You know, I always say with the predator investigations, people say, well, you know, what's the most surprising thing? And I, and I answer often that it's that we can still do them. I mean, I honestly thought this wasn't designed as a series. This was designed as a one-off for Dateline. And we did it once and twice. And I thought the third time nobody would show up. And here we are, literally 16 years later. And a month ago, I was in Genesee County, Michigan. And we caught a prison guard, uh, a babysitter, somebody who did work for the state of Michigan who was in the governor's mansion a former police officer from Lebanon and a guy who worked in the auto engineer, all trying to meet. So what does that tell you? It's everywhere. It's right. And it's not just, it's not just predators preying on kids. It's predators preying on anybody in a vulnerable class. And that includes people with disabilities. So yeah, I think we need to get to work on this and, and I'll be happy to be involved in it. It's oh, amazing, Chris. Um, you know, so are, when does the when do these predator episodes that you said you were recording a month ago? When are those going to start airing? Those uh, right now they're on my YouTube channel. There are three of them up on the YouTube channel. I have a series of so people can check them out there. And then we're in the process of uh, having discussions with various television uh, entities and uh, where it's going to go in terms of uh, the television program. So, uh, okay. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, I was wondering too, I always because I watched that show pretty religiously when it was on you know the dateline episodes back in in 04 or 05 or whatever it was, and uh, I was always wondering what was the scariest moment for you? It, was there any like really crazy thing? I mean, obviously, it's a crazy the whole situation, is crazy, but um, what was the scariest thing, um, as part of that show for you? Well, you know, we showed everything that happened. I mean, there was nothing held back that, you know, this tussle or fight or gun pulled or anything like that. But I think, you know, it's about a hundred weight tie for first. You're always on edge. You know, um, there was a scene in, in the case of the rabbi who showed up, David Kay, in suburban Washington, D.C., where he lunged, well, it looked scarier than it was. I think what he was doing was trying to get a copy of the the uh, uh, very sexually suggestive pictures he sent to someone who he thought was a 13-year-old boy. And there was a scene in Petaluma, California, where a Navy guy came around the corner and came face-to-face -face and I didn't have a barrier. He was much more pumped up than I was. And he, I could tell that he was getting ready to do something. And I finally got him to calm down and step aside and de-escalated the situation. You know, we find out after the fact, you know, this guy had a gun in his car, he, you know, had a you know, rope and duct tape and a camera and wanted to take this 13, 14 year old girl off for a quote unquote driving lesson. I mean, we learned a lot of stuff after the fact that gives you pause to reflect and, you know, think, oh, geez, this guy was you know, kind of bad news. But generally speaking, we have the drop on it. You know, I was in the studio today uh, recording a podcast. And we look back at predators I've caught and, and we tell the story of what was going on behind the scenes and, and um, what has happened to the predators since then. And 
today I was recording the episode of James Rutherford, who's a 26-year-old teacher who walked into a sting operation in Greenville, Ohio, a small town. The first time we did one in a very small town. And it was just very telling to me because this guy didn't want to tell a story of and then he ultimately did. And it was a lesson to me in how do you get inside one of these guys' heads? Because I think that one of the purposes of those stories or unseemly the Peter Nygaard investigation is that if you can get inside the mind of the predator and figure out a little bit how it works, and then you hear the voices of victims, you can better prevent other people from becoming victims. Right? And it's taking these people, the viewers, uh, on this journey of discovery where they see things they wouldn't normally see and they hear things they wouldn't normally hear and, and you get to have them experience this and I think it's all part of creating a safer society. And there's no you know, end to the crime or end to the predatory behavior, but we can certainly prevent other people from becoming victims. And that's, that's why we do these stories. And that's why it's so important you know, that we have a dialogue like this to prevent people in the disabled community from why it's so critical, Ty, that you, you know, summon the courage to speak out against your own gang, you know, and to be a part of this effort. It's, it's phenomenal. But it doesn't happen unless people do it, you know. It's, it's not easy. I mean, look, I, you know, every day I make phone calls to people and say, look, you know, I need your help doing this. I need you to do something very public, do something uncomfortable, um, you know, whether it's, any of the stories that are in the news today, you know, talking to people, dealing with victims, and you know, there's a hundred reasons why somebody may not want to do it, and I can't always tell them that you have to do it because I need to, you know, my television investigation. Sometimes they just don't want to do it, and you have to respect them. But thankfully, there have been, and hopefully, always will be, a, a chorus of very brave people who will stick their necks out to do it because it's the right thing to do. It. I'd never criticize anybody for not doing it. Try you'd be within your rights totally to not do it. Yeah. We would do the story. We would figure out a way to tell the story. But it makes it all the more compelling, important, and, and uh, just more believable to have you a part of it. And, and you know, I'm, I'm glad we're having this discussion. You know, there, there's 100 places that uh, the three of us could be doing 100 different things. But tonight we're going to do this and we're going to get the word out and we're going to stand top of it. And, you have my word that I will, you know, continue to be part of this effort. I think it's important. And I think I should do a stay up. Yeah, thank you. And I think that this could be a real moment for uh, the Walk Again project. Absolutely. To, Tell me to uh, catalyze an effort towards organizing the information that would be helpful for the disabled community to have available to them. Perhaps we can have it on the website and have a section uh, for that and um, take all these different tools. Because I'll tell you, Chris, one of the big things that for me with the Nygaard case was I was just trying to figure out what I could do, whatever yeah. it was I would do. And one of the things that ended up being helpful was just organizing information because everybody's, you know, everything's scattered. And it's, it's bringing it all together into one place and making sure that the, the tools are in a way that uh, you, can, you can figure it out. Because otherwise, you don't know where to start. You don't know where, where to go or what to do. So 
perhaps that's something, Jeremy, that yeah. the walk again can really focus on here. And, and I, I think, and I think it's a, it's a great way to focus, you know, your energy, Jeremy. I, I'm not telling you what to do or how to manage it. And obviously, you've got a ton of things you're trying to achieve. But I think this is one element of your effort that, you know, we can team up on and, and really make a difference. And, and you know, I logically didn't sit there. But I think, yeah, I think you should solicit stories and incidents where people are going to take their hands up. I'll do my part to kind of liaison with law enforcement. Yeah, I, I appreciate it, Chris. I do. Thank you so much. All right. I want to, I, I know we're getting ready probably to wrap here pretty soon. Um, sure. So just to switch it up just a little bit from being incredibly serious and to just add just a slice of maybe a slightly lighter note. Um, Chris Hansen in South Park. <laughs> <laughs> Epic. Epic. Uh, so we're, you know, we're, you've become kind of like a cult classic, you know, for a lot of people where you're some, you either, uh, you're, you're a very well known name for a certain demographic of people. Sure. A lot of people know your name. Um, but, but you have this, this, first of all, Jeremy told me before we did the podcast that he was only going to refer to you as Chris Hansen, <laughs> not Chris, Chris uh, Hansen. So wait, you got to, you got to stick with that and go to Chris Hansen whenever you reference him in the future. So the South Park, I'll tell you a funny story about the South Park thing. First of all, you know, I've done voiceovers for different cartoons, different shows, made cameo appearances, and it's all fun. And, and uh, I don't mind making fun of myself because it's brings attention to a very important topic. Right. But South Park doesn't tell you beforehand, right? So I'm in San Francisco on an unrelated story and I get a text from one of my agents and it says that South Park is doing a, uh, an episode of you. It's pretty funny. And, and of course, I'm three hours time different, so I can't watch it until for three hours. And, and uh, I get a text a few years later, it's taking a dark turn. <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and you've seen the episode, you, you know what happens. But, you know, my kids, the two older kids are now in, you know, television and journalism themselves. You know, they went to a high school where, you know, having a dad on television wasn't a big deal. You know, they had, they had dads who were heads of uh, big fashion companies and Wall Street firms and, you know, sailboat manufacturers, all kinds of different things. But when South Park happened, you know, sometimes they cool down because I was, so, you know, it's clever. And, and they, you know, they, they, they're smart guys and it's a, it's a smart, funny show. And yeah, they push it uh, to the edge, but I, I wasn't offended by it. It's, you know, you become a part of pop culture and, and you use it for, for good. So I, it didn't bother me with it. And it certainly gave me a lot of credibility in uh, my son's eyes. Well, good. <laughs> The line that uh, we're always saying that it's kind of the running joke is, uh, "Why don't you go take a seat right over here?" Yeah, yeah, just right over there. Right over there. Oh, why, why don't you sit down right here? How does he do that? <laughs> How does he do that? So anytime I need somebody to like sit somewhere or do something, that's the that's the thing that I. Oh, I was joking. I mean, imagine being one of my kids in high school who you know uh, did something that didn't necessarily agree with me and. I think they would rather me than physically aggressive with them than have to undergo the withering cross-examination for 45 minutes to an hour to you know, let it play out, knowing that I already know the answer to every question I'm going to ask you. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that's the, that's the scene right there. Is uh, yeah, Cartman's there, and then you're you're there, and then you you get the note, yeah. and it's let's go, let's sit down. Yeah, nobody wants to have Chris Hansen say that to them. No, friends. no. Then then oh no, <laughs> look, they got you have to. If you say it, that's the thing. If you say yeah. it, there's something about it that we all have to do it. So. It's just the way it is. I mean, I don't know what it's like to yield that kind of power, but you, <laughs> there's something going on there. Well, uh, a, it just sort of developed, I guess, over time. You really need to, to do it and, and again. You know, look in the real world of doing these investigations, and, you know, you have the drop on these guys. You really do. I mean, they, they're they may in the back of their mind. And what makes me think of this is you know doing the James Rutherford podcast. They, you know, he didn't want to deal with me or talk to me it wasn't even sure it was me and slowly you know he starts to reveal that he's had these issues and in fact that he and the other teachers had a discussion because they had seen a previous episode and he cops out from this i mean it just it's, 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 i rewatched it you know before going into the studio today just to immerse myself in it again and just oh my god this guy's a teacher and he was in the teacher's lounge talking to the other teachers about protecting the kids and here he is in this home, yeah. having a seat for me and, and being cross-examined and interrogated. And just, it, it, just the whole thing was just... Well, it, just it, final point for me, and you bring it up with that, is that I did spend periods of time with Nygaard. Sure. I, I traveled with him on trips occasionally, especially when we were working on trying to find solutions and fast-track medical breakthroughs. Uh, when it was still sort of a pure project in the early uh, part of it. And even though he was a total jerk to really be around, you always kind of had to walk on eggshells with him. You didn't, I, you just, you don't see rape. You don't right. see these things. They're, they, yeah. like, I never even... The only thing that you, the narrative that comes out of the thing that's, you know, his whole narrative was, I'm against drugs. You find out he's been drugging women. Uh, I hate alcohol. If they're too drunk, I want people away from me. Well, it turns out you find out that he goes and targets drunk women at, at the pamper party at the odd hours of night or whatever that he's doing. It's always like the opposite. And to your point, you're saying that you have all these people that you would just never would have suspected well, I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up with this thought, and that is that people ask all the time, uh, you know, what do these guys have in common? And my answer is that they don't stand out of a crowd in most cases. Yeah, we've had the creepy guy walking in, you know, might as well have a predator tattoo for him. But generally speaking, in the vast majority of cases, this guy could be standing next to you on a Saturday morning at the grocery store and dry cleaners or, you know, the drugstore. They don't stand out the crowd. And, you know, statistically and historically, you know, these guys come from all walks of life. We've seen teachers, we've seen a doctor, we've seen uh, clergymen, you know, handymen, you know, everything you could imagine. Yeah. People from law enforcement. So it's, it's, it's epidemic still. Um, before we wrap, one other uh, like trying to turn things to a lighter note before we uh, get off the 
the line here. Um, I, if I didn't ask you about this, my normal co-host Brandon would, uh, Brandon Stevens would probably kill me. But about we're we're both huge Seattle SuperSonics fans. So is Kai. We uh, we grew up with the Sonics, and they they had moved to Oklahoma City, you know, 15 years ago or whatever it is now. And uh, about seven years ago, we all, all over Seattle uh, newspapers and and the the uh, news and stuff. It's Chris Hansen to buy try and buy the Sonics and bring them back. Yeah. And we were all that was the you know that was kind of the running joke. Like, wait, is it? Oh no, it's not to catch a predator, Chris Hansen. It's it's another one. Okay. So wait, you're not trying to actively buy the Sonics this way? <laughs> no, no. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny story about that though. Years ago, I was uh, on assignment in uh, cell phone range, and it's um, it's a reporter from the Wall Street Journal, one of the columns on real estate. She says, uh, "Is this Chris Hansen?" I said, "Yeah, how are you doing?" So and so, so and so from the Wall Street Journal. I said, "Yeah, what kind of you read?" Said, "Well, I'm going through some." home purchase records and I see that you just bought a, a home in Marin, California for $9 million. I said, well, sadly, I must inform you that wasn't this Chris Hansen, but <laughs> I'm sure it was a, another Chris Hansen and it was that Chris Hansen. Bought the home. But, uh, yeah, I see it pop up in my Google news feed uh, occasionally. And, uh, I, wish him, I wish him luck. He's been very successful and I respect him for that. Well, I think that this has been a uh, very constructive for the conversation of the disabled communities uh agreed battle with uh predators who and we all we know as we've discussed here will prey on the most vulnerable people they can possibly find that's how they survive that's how they do it and they have no conscience about anything and um so i think we can generate some momentum from that and the walk again will take some action to uh, act as a resource and a hub of information and look to organize the effort of providing that resource for the community and connecting with other members of the community. So th that in itself is significant. And just like you stated that you started with To Catch a Predator 17 years ago with one roughly with one episode intention and it's blossomed into this, perhaps we'll be able to look back on this and say that this was one of those moments where we did start something that can be built on and hopefully will result in helping prevent this kind of atrocity from happening. Even if it helps one more person, that's already worth it. Um, so thank you for that. I think that that was one of the great takeaways. And then the other one, of course, to be able to talk to you about this Nygaard situation and really even bring up the connection that we had without even knowing each other. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's amazing, you know, and, and I'm just glad it all worked out. Um, I'm very thankful to you and, uh, for, you know, being a part of the seamless documentary, obviously, and, grateful to be brought into this with Jeremy and, and uh, you know, let's create a movement here and get something done. It would be great. Yeah, I, 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 the nightmare for me, Chris Hansen, was the idea of 
Nygaard flying off to another country. Oh, I, I, I agree. I think and, and Jeremy can tell you because I was over, he knows that I would like that was the big thing going on in my mind. Yeah. Uh, uh, what the hell to do about that? And just just the fact that you could be under criminal investigation for heinous crimes and even have crimes that were filed and reported and sitting potentially on a crown prosecutor's desk. And you could still flee the country and go to a jurisdiction where they cannot do anything about that. You would think that you would be able to say, uh, sorry, you're not actually allowed to fly out. Your passport's been uh, red flagged here. You better check in with your local law enforcement or check in with somebody because you got to you're on the no you're on the no list. And oh, I am. OK, well. Turns out I'm under investigation. I'm sorry for the inconvenience of having to stay in your country while you're under criminal investigation for heinous crimes, sir. But that's the law. I would love it if that was the law and it wasn't this crazy law that you're able. My trouble was, okay, he's okay, great. Another survivor came forward. Okay, we got another one to go. Okay, we filed all these things. All right, you talked to the right person. All right, it's been filed. All right, a month has gone by, two months have gone by. Okay, the police contact me and say, or they don't contact me, but I end up finding information that, okay, yeah, charges have been filed and now they're sitting on a desk somewhere, whatever, but he can just leave at whatever time he wants. It's no big deal. That was just mind boggling, you know? So I I would love to, you know, in the effort of all this in terms of solutions, that's one piece of advocacy that I hope that we can all rally around in the future to make it more difficult to be able to flee a jurisdiction if you're being under criminal investigation for a heinous crime. And then of course, the other legal loophole that he took advantage of is in the Bahamas, where if you rape somebody on foreign soil and you're a Canadian that got brought over there, he promised you the world, which is what he was doing. And then you get raped in the Bahamas and then you go back to Canada and you go, hey, I got raped by a Canadian and I wanna report it. And they say, okay, great, where did it happen? Oh, the Bahamas, sorry. You can't, you can't file, you can't do anything. Sorry, you got to go to the Bahamas. And guess what? Bahamas is one of the worst records for filing and prosecuting sex crimes. That's where you have to bring it. Oh, and by the way, that rich, powerful person owns the police. Yeah. So uh, talk about a system. Higher level uh, politicians. And that's what people say, well, how do you get along with this? Wait with so long. Well, that is a big part of it. I mean, even when we were down there, you were going, this coming March, doing uh, the interviews with the, the victims, uh, we had a very tight security protocol. You know, we had people with us. We, you know, I thought we were well protected. I, I think we had the drop on it, but we were very low profile. Uh, we never did secret locations. We did the interviews. You know, we kept it very quiet. And um, you know, you just don't know. You don't know who's being followed, who's being intimidated, who's being, you know, who's going to try one. I'm thankful for your help, Connie. So let's keep in touch on all of these issues. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Start a movement when it comes to protecting uh, those with disabilities. And it, you just thank me again. And I want to say this was not just like I'm getting a lot of credit that I don't even feel I fully. As you should. Yeah. But a lot of people yes, have to come together on this. I did everything that I could. I did everything that I could. Yes. Uh, but if Lewis Bacon doesn't Absolutely. stand up to Peter Nygaard, uh, none of this happens. 
Bacon's right. been, you know, slandered by Nygaard. None, none, um, none of this happens without Lewis Bacon and the Bacon family. Yeah, so, so crucial. Um, we, don't even, we don't even get to do the story, probably. No, know. no, he's still raping and we doing whatever know, he wants. We didn't know half of what we know, you know, had they not taken the action. And I would not know anything. I would just be continuing to live my life, avoiding hanging out with them because I don't really enjoy he, being he around. Built just a bigger wall in the Bahamas and he avoided the whole thing. And, and so, so Lewis Bacon standing up to him. Uh, Without Lewis Bacon, none of, none of this happens. None of this happens, and I was misled by him about Bacon because, of course, the information I'm getting fed is is that Bacon is well. He was running a misinformation campaign about. Yeah, and, and and one of the reasons now it becomes so obvious why he was so obsessive about Bacon and discrediting Bacon and this war against Bacon was because Bacon was touching on something that was a very sensitive subject that he knew that if there was that uh, backer behind behind the lawyers or the women or whatever, just a someone that can match up against this other force and say, no, actually, you're not able to just dominate them with your money because we're going to make sure that this legal team actually can file their case without you doing your typical tactics or whatever it was um, that happened. It's a blessing that uh, I think it's Fred Smith was in the Bahamas, was the lawyer there. Um, I only realized what I just heard from uh, uh, Evil by Design, which is a CBC podcast uh, that I'm also in. I was the only family member to be in that one, but there, but that's not really the point. But I'm I'm in one of those episodes, and and that's not to say my family hasn't done a lot of good things. I've got courageous brothers that have done amazing work. I've got a completely innocent sister who has gone through hell trying to rut herself out of this. Uh, situation because she was simply in proximity to Nygaard and he manipulated her and put her in horrible positions. Um, but Fred Smith over there did a great job as the attorney in Bahamas. Um, Rochette Ross, who was the uh, one of the survivors who I actually knew I was there before when she was there. She was a masseuse at the house. I'd gotten a massage from her before. Um, so, and to find out her story of five years. And when I heard this story about her, I think it was her little sister. I don't know if you heard the podcast, but episode three of Evil by Design is Rochette Ross. And uh, she tells this story about her little sister coming to the house at like 13 or something like that. And and she she disappeared and she ran off and, and then she found Nygaard taking her up to his room. And she was in like a bikini because it was like swim, swim, a swim day or something. And then she goes, what are you doing? And he said, and she says, oh, Mr. Nygaard wants to um, see me model uh, uh, his new Nygaard Slims. And then she says, go back to the beach. And then he gives her this smirk. Like, oh, you caught me. Like, mm. like, you know, and when I heard that man, it's just mm, like that. Mm, that really gets me. So Rochette Ross, who I guess her house got shot up. Yeah. Um, uh, the information I was getting from Nygaard and his enablers was how she was this, you know, they had proof that she was paid off and all this stuff. And so I was just like, I don't know who this person is, but I, I don't, you know, cause you don't know, cause you're not, you're not talking to them. You don't know the other side of it. Um, Miss Ross rallied, uh, got more of the women in the Bahamas. They got to Fred Smith. They, and, and then to get to Greg Gutzler and Lisa Hava, who are the civil attorneys who brought it to New York. And, and brought that first 
10 women suit, that was critical because then all of the good people in the world actually have information to go off of rather than speculation and rumors. So these are the real, like these were the real, real, real heroes to me um, of this. And then I was lucky because I was able just to kind of like join the team. Uh, yeah. And, and well, so it was a so lot easier for me um, to join a team than it would have been to try to like do, do this initiation and, and the civil attorneys Greg Gutzler became like my best friend I was talking to him every day he was like my, my guy you know so um, hats off to all these great people and, and you too because you're a part of this and, and unseemly coming out I'm very proud to be uh, in this documentary I'm very proud of it I think that it's been shot uh, in, a, in an accurate way that was respectful to all people and um, isn't targeting or taking photos of people and putting them out of context with him. And there's so much that you could do as a, so much responsibility in the media. Um, I have, I have pictures of people that are with Nygaard in my phone that I don't, I'll never be able to put out there just because it's totally out of context. It's not that they were connected to Nygaard or anything, but if you saw this person with him, at something where they just met for 20 minutes and snapped the photo, you would say, Oh, that's it. That, that, that person, you know, and so context matters a lot. And so unseemly did a really good job too of protecting um, the stories to keep it focused on uh, the survivors and the people who needed exposure and the, and then making sure that just the people that were talking were the ones that were emphasized. So I'm very proud and happy that I, that I participated in it. Um, and I'm thrilled that you were a part of it. That was one of the most pleasant surprises that you could have ever given me. And um, I just thank you and honor you for like the work that you've done yeah. and the legacy that you're creating, Chris Hansen, will live on forever and has really been a massive positive impact to so many lives about such an important subject and it's just uh for me that's why you're such a big name for me it wasn't it wasn't because you were on some youtube shows or you won emmys or any of that stuff it was the work that you were doing that um, you were able to show a lot of yeah it, it, it really is something special and i'm 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 just <sighs> It's, it's a dream actually that you, it's a blessing. It's a blessing that you were involved in this and, uh, and, and that in a way we were able to collaborate on helping to stop someone as sinister and evil as it turns out Peter Nygaard actually is. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Much more to be done and we'll do it. All right, Jeremy. Well, yeah, say it's, good, uh, all right, it's getting late. I know where you know you're you're on the East Coast, Chris. We appreciate you, My pleasure. Chris Hansen. You, uh, yeah, we definitely appreciate you, Kaizen Bickle, Chris Hansen. This was, uh, yeah, we will be back next week, and and uh, everybody go watch Unseemly on Discovery Plus. By the time this episode comes out, it will be available. 